Hey guys, my name is Aaron McManus, and you were listening to the Battle Ready podcast. Um, I'm joined today by three of the greats. Uh, my dad, Erwin Rafael McManus. I got Brooke Odom Figueroa, and I got Austin St. John with us today. But before we get started in this episode, where we kind of address a lot of things, but mostly go down memory lane with my dad at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, if you don't know what that university signifies, it signifies greatness. It signifies Michael Jordan went to school here and create, and now he's the logo, not the logo of the league, the other logo, the logo of the world, the, lo the Nike logo of the world. No, but essentially we go down memory lane. Brooke also went there and we talk about some things that we learned talked about my dad speaking to the football team and just kind of the the joys of living in the United States. Uh, a couple interesting uh, conservative versus liberal memes that we found and we get into all of it. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to tell you guys about something that we've done that is newer. Um, we started a Patreon. What is Patreon? Patreon essentially is a place where you can subscribe um, at a few different levels and go deeper into the Battle Ready podcast community. It's where you can kind of reach out to us. It's where you can watch episodes that have been released nowhere else except for this private podcast area. Um, we're going to do some live Q&As. We're probably going to also do some live podcasts in the Patreon. Um, and we're also, I think, going to try to release to the Patreon before anyone else. So you might get, you know, a day or two or three days ahead of anyone else before the, the podcast release. Um, which I think is exciting and it kind of helps us build what we're doing here, but also keeps us advertisement free and keeps us focused on the subjects that we want to talk about. Um, so if you are wanting to buy into battle ready and support the pod, jump on patreon.com slash battle ready podcast. There'll be a link in our bio. There'll be a link in this uh, episode bio. So you can kind of find it anywhere. Um, and we're excited to, to have you guys with us. We've got 22 people so far community is building and I've already been messaging with a few people because I got it on my app, which is exciting on my phone. And we're going to jump into this episode. And what's the title of this episode, Brooke? The title of this episode? Do we call it Good Night Chapel Hill? I was going to call it Water Meat, but I like that too. We're going to call it Water <laughs> Okay. I think we might be calling this episode Good Night Chapel Hill. It was the sweetest thing, Brooke. We're driving leaving the game and we went a day early so we've kind of been on campus all all two days we're driving home from the game we're, we're on franklin going back to our hotel and my dad just looks over at chapel hill and looks over at the campus and goes good night chapel hill <laughs> and i just i like <laughs> it makes me want to cry it was so beautiful that's so, so beautiful. sweet so like getting to be a part of that story with my dad is like maybe one of my favorite things that we could have ever done together so um all right i'm gonna go cry now we're gonna jump into this episode check it out recording live from brooklyn new york is it technically brooklyn new york it is technically brooklyn new york it is i think i'm just so used to saying new york new york well you know new york is the state no i understand that it's the state yeah. <laughs> so it's, also, it's also the city okay so we're in brooklyn new york and <laughs> this is already we're all it's gonna be this day huh oh it's good it's good i'm so excited uh, well, it's good to it's good to be on. I'm I'm happy we're doing it even when we're away. Um, okay, first things first. Welcome to the pod. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to have you, Dad. It's good, and we're repping UNC we're, today. We are repping the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. All right, come on, Brooke. I did not go to university there, but Brooke Odom Figueroa. When did you graduate? What okay. did I graduate? No, when did you graduate? Oh, 2012. Wow. I know. A 10-year alumnus. Dad, what is amazing. Uh, let's say 40 years sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> so <I guess> it, <laughs> earlier, I was going to say sooner. <laughs> okay. Me and Austin being the odd man out, not having gone to the University of North Carolina. Uh, you know, it was your birthday, Dad, at the end of August, and I decided to to buy tickets to the football game uh, between UNC and the University of Notre Dame. Um, the fighting what a great matchup! 
what the fighting Irish, but the, you know, the Catholics. <laughs> um, I thought we had a chance. I really, truly did. We're not going to go so much into the football aspect of it, but, you know, I was a great son and I decided to buy some football tickets. And then one of your best friends got you invited to speak to the team. That's right. I got to speak to the football team, meet Coach Mac Brown, uh, meet um, Kevin Donnelly and the crew who worked there at the hell. And uh, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Shout out Kevin Donnelly, who ended up being our, our host and our point person. And he is technically over, I guess, all of their life, like the football, all of the football athletes, their lives after football. Yep. Yeah. And, and there's a group of them that work with, I think, around 800 of the university's athletes for life after sports. So that if you go to Chapel Hill, you can play a sport on scholarship, but then they're going to help you with your career, um, you know, map out a future. Because really a very small percentage of those athletes will ever make that sport their professional career. So it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. He's a wonderful human. He played, he played football at, he played tight end. No, no, he played. No, he played actually, but was an offensive lineman. Offensive lineman. This, he this the was, yeah, he's in the league for like 15 years, right? Yeah, so I think 13. And he was on the Panther team that went to the Super Bowl and lost. But um, what an incredible story he has. You know, it's real humbling being around football players because everyone's just so much i was not bigger than the 15 year old recruits who were there for the weekend <laughs> like i'm i thought I, and i'm i've been gaining weight these like 16 17 year olds were bigger than i was hey, the, the best compliment i got while i was there is that we were at the um um the, the tailgate party for alumni football players and one of the players said hey so what position did you play and <laughs> i should have said quarterback but I didn't think fast enough. <laughs> okay, so we went we went for the weekend. It was amazing. We had so much fun. They ended up losing to Notre Dame. That was not so fun. Um, you know, some might say it was rigged. You know, there was a terrible call. Referee called a pass interference call on the fourth down in the end zone, and which gave Notre Dame the actual point differential that, you know, they won by. And it was a terrible call. Mac Brown, man, 70 years old, on the field, yelling at the referees. He was hot. He was so intense. I just thought, man, I just, I just love Coach Brown. I just love Mac Brown. I love his intensity. I love his passion. I love how he's fighting for his players and his team. And um, those referees um, were not loved. And But one of the things that really struck me was just some of the uh, leadership frameworks that uh, exist not only at Chapel Hill, but in every sports team that you work with. Um, but, you know, after I, I had my chance to speak to the team and, and invest in their lives, uh, Coach Brown showed a quick clip, and then he talked for a moment about um, taking responsibility for each other and really calling them to do their job, to do it at the highest level they can, um, as their commitment to the other players on this team. And it was really interesting. In just a few moments he spoke, he just reminded them that other people were dependent on their execution. Other people were dependent on them bringing their best. And, and if that was interesting, he did say, hey, we're just going to do a walkthrough right now. But if you don't know what to do during the walkthrough, you will not know what to do during the game. If you can't do it in the environment where there's no pressure, you're not going to be able to execute it in the environment when you have all the pressure in the world on you. And it's it just such a great reminder in life that um, the reason people execute at the highest level when they're at the highest level of pressure and intensity and uh, crisis is because they've done the hard work of almost creating a, a uh, a muscle memory, a mental memory. They know exactly what to do in the crisis because they've been through that scenario so many times. They've thought about it. They've prepared for it. They've trained for it. They've practiced it to perfection. And and I just, I, the applications to me were just um, applicable in every arena of life. You, you know, you, you can't expect to be great 
in the moment if you haven't put in the hard work and all the other hours. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. It was such a testament, though. I, one of the things that was so eye-opening for me that I just, you know, you, you see it on television, you just don't realize it until you're in the room, but how big football teams are. <laughs> how, how many kids, how many young people are standing there on that sideline hoping to go in and how to build a culture around, you know, a team of people who are traveling together and maybe only half of them actually play. You yeah, know, and and maybe only two thirds of that half are are gonna be the best, and maybe only ten percent or five percent of that overall team is gonna make it to the next level. Which to me was just how do you manage personalities? How do you manage? I think the only question I asked when we were sitting with Kevin was how do you manage that many personal lives on a daily basis? Yeah, and just a reminder that these. These athletes are kids. I mean, they're 18, 19, 17, 20 years old. They're, they're pretty young and they're going through stuff. You know, they got family stuff. They have personal stuff. They have girlfriend stuff. They have, you know, um, they have academic challenges. They, and they have, they have the grapple with all that. And, um, and one of the things that really struck me again was that, you know, a huge part of coaching is, not just skill development. It's just not the refinement of talent. I mean, a huge part of, of coaching is helping a person learn how to have mastery over their emotions, over their relationships, over their uh, mental frameworks. You said something to me today. What was the, the contributing or the connecting factor between like millionaires and billionaires and the way that they respond to stressful situations? Yeah, it, 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 to me, it's fascinating because, you know, I was watching this interview and it's something I've talked to you about probably all your life and that um, people who execute at the highest level, in fact, so many billionaires and, and, um, and high level millionaires, what happens in the middle of crisis, what happens in the middle when everyone else is panicking, when everyone else is uh, uh, experiencing heightened emotions, when they're angry, when they're yelling, when they're volatile, when they're out of control, uh, that elite 1% actually becomes calmer. And, and what really distinguishes them is that in the middle of the crisis, in the middle uh, of that challenge when everyone else is panicked and everyone's uh, informed in by their emotions, their fears, their anxieties, their stress, that person who's an elite person, they actually just become calmer and calmer and calmer. And I remember years ago when I was at this uh, leadership um, event with uh, Leighton Ford, who was actually Billy Graham's, I think, brother-in-law, um, like 40 years ago when I was uh, much younger, um, or maybe 30 years ago. I was in early, my early 30s. And they did this assessment. And one of the things they told me was that I had something called tough poise. I'd never heard that phrase before. And, and they told me it was a very rare kind of characteristic. So I thought, I want to know what it is when it's rare, because I want to build on it, because it, it'll help you distinguish yourself and they explained to me that tough poise was this unusual relationship the pressure that when there's no pressure I feel no pressure to lead and so I I'm I'm easily overlooked as the leader if there's no crisis no pressure uh, no challenge um, but when there's a massive elevation of pressure of crisis and challenge then I rise to the top as a leader and and I remember it just talking to you saying this is to me some of the irony of it is that i'm an incredibly calm person and the more crisis there is the calmer i get the more challenges the more the calmer i get and it's really odd because you see everyone else running around you see everyone else panicking you see emotions and and uh, attitudes flying everywhere and then you just find this incredible sense of peace and you're able to see things with such clarity and other people think that um, maybe you're wiser or you know more, or you're more intelligent, but it's really not that. You're just not overwhelmed by um, the psychological devastation of the moment. You're just calmer and calmer and calmer. So you see things clearer and clearer and clearer. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I, I think, you know, we're watching the game at UNC and I know, you know, whether you're in the football or not, I've never really been a big football fan. It was just like really fun to be in the atmosphere. One, college games are way better than, than pro games. 
<laughs> They're just fun. These people care. Yeah. I've never seen like more like, you know, little wealthy old Southern ladies flipping off refs in my life. <laughs> like, Brooke, something happened. Like, we obviously in our section, we were in the home section. You know, we're on the we're in the, like the first level. You know, we got to go down on the field, which was so cool. And then we kind of I think we were in like season ticket holder land. I just bought them online and they were great seats. And everyone around us, you could tell kind of either kind of knew each other or like had students that were that were there because students would kind of run up and hang out their parents and then kind of run back to the student section. And something happened, like a dirty like call happened in the end zone. And all of these little old ladies are just flipping off the refs. And I was <laughs> like, whoa. And they're in their like, like their baby blue Carolina blue dresses. Yep. Their because cardigans, their UNC yep. earrings, everything. The whole thing. It's so, it was, it was so interesting to me. I'm like, I was like, guys, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just a game and it's not just a game to them. No, no. no. But it makes it's sense so like college football is on Saturday because they sin on Saturdays and then they go to church on Sundays. <laughs> they do the sinning then the saving. Well, those Southern Bells, they got they, they got a lot, they got a lot going on, a lot of passion happening there. There's a lot of passion <laughs> going on, but uh, you know, I think you know, towards later in the game, there's a bunch of penalties happen, and you could tell like the defense on UNC was getting really frustrated, and they were kind of falling apart mentally. Um, and you know, it's not a knock on them. I think it's just in the in the moment, you could tell the 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 um, the mental tough, the the poise wasn't there. Mm. Something was going on, you know, and, and, and there's so many factors to that. And, and, and that for me, it, it kind of reflects a lot of the situations that we're in kind of in, in all aspects of the teams that we work with. How, how do you manage one? How do you manage people's response rate? Because you can't control everyone, right? One defender right. goes off and, and literally punt, like hit another player in the face because he was mad at the other player holding him accountable for something. And it was on the jumbotron and you saw it and it was, it was really interesting yeah, and one of our own players punching another one of our own players. In the face. And yeah. you're like, ah, it's not going to go well for you later because at the end of the day, that just got put on the jumbotron and the coaches are definitely seeing that. And, you know, and, 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 but how do you have that mental toughness? And we were talking about this a little bit before we jumped on the pod about resilience and how resilience is now a dirty word. Brooke. Brooke made it a dirty word. Um, Brooke found an interesting Instagram post from NPR. I did not, I didn't make resilience a dirty word. I think <laughs> NPR made resilience a dirty word. I think resilience is a great word, but I found this. I don't know if there's like a specific language for this on the internet, but like a cartoon slides, like graphics on NPR's Instagram. And it's a psychotherapist and licensed clinical social wor worker. Her name's Lourdes Dolores Fallens. Mm -hmm. But essentially, NPR posted this on August 28th. She's it's saying my that. How <laughs> <all> sad. <laughs> it was a gift to you. There you go. She's saying that being resilient is left over from slavery, colonization, and indentured servitude. And that. To say someone is resilient is essentially to diminish what they've had to endure to make them resilient. So she's saying if you if you even say it as a compliment that someone is resilient, that you're you're not actually comforting them, that you're being rude or mean. Um, and she even gives a like a prompt to people. She says if someone's complimented. If someone compliments you and says, you're so resilient, you can respond with, what makes you say that? Or, I appreciate the fact that you recognize my ability to endure hardship. I just wish I didn't have to. That it's like a little like a political cartoon with a guy. The guy who is resilient is the one in the rain. And the guy who's saying, hey, complimenting his resilience is the one in the umbrella. Oh, no, I didn't see that one. <laughs> it's. I think it's oh. like slide three or four. For, no, no, like near the end. Yeah, it's towards the end. Um, wow. It's, it's, I try not to smile when we catch neoliberalism flaunting its, its good nature, but it's, it's, uh, what'd you say, Dad? No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, this is just fantastic. This is it's like fun. when you, this is like the meal we went to in North Carolina, Dad. Like we went to this meal, Brooke, and we were just like, you know, we we're unsure because Chapel Hill obviously the is bin place. Place. the bin place. Did you like it? If you like it, you can say the name. It's amazing. Are you the reason why we went? I helped. Yes. Did, have you been there before? I haven't. It's newer. It was amazing. What, what was the name of it? Bin fifty four. Yeah, 30, yeah. Bin fifty four. Oh yeah. I think so. We loved it. It was so good. Yeah. It was awesome. Like you walk in, yeah. like you're going, you're going into like an Olive Garden. Like you're like not sure what's going to happen here. You know, like my ordering breadsticks tonight, but I see white tablecloth. You know, like we saw people pulling up in like suits and stuff, you know, now obviously it's a big, it's a big game weekend. So people are coming in from out of town. There was always, you know, it was interesting. It was like in a little mini mart, like there was a gas station, you know, like a, a donut store two, two doors down. And then it was kind of on the corner and there was like, oh, this is this amazing restaurant. We go inside. It looks like an olive garden. Um, and then we talked to the young lady, like me and him are running a few minutes behind because I, I, there was this, this is, this stuff, does, this information doesn't matter. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, just bear with me. But there was like this freeway. Was it the 40? That was like, I don't know, like the I-40. It was like a half freeway, half big road. This is the thing about North uh, Carolina. Yeah, the 40, like, like a two lane. Yeah, it's forever. Like two lane, but there's no, it's like, it's hard to get out. Yes. And I kept getting caught in this like, like U-turn zone. <laughs> missing the exit and I get having the U-turn. All the while, there's like the most traffic that it ever has because it's like the big, you know, it's a big game of the year. And we get into bin 54 and we're a little late and it's my fault. And, you know, I'm wearing a hat. He's wearing a hat. We're dressed nice. But, you know, it's like it's L.A. nice. You can kind of wear You're L.A. nice. L.A. nice. You can wear whatever in L.A. Like what yeah. I, what what my friends were wearing at this restaurant. It was like, is this a black tie event? <laughs> are, we at the, are we at the Oscars? <laughs> that's but north it, carolina it is though it was like we're getting we're getting dressed up we're looking nice we're gonna go to a dinner you know mm -hmm. for me to look like that i have to go to the store <laughs> all right Aaron. so get, we get, sit get, yeah. land the plane land the plane <laughs> oh sir me land the plane <laughs> you're like you're like a blue angel over there all you do is fly in loops no, but you went in and you were late. Did they let you sit down? I'm assuming they, they did. They let us sit down like the gentlemen that they are. And then we sit down and we had the best meal and it was so good. And I was so, so surprised. And not, you know, I was a little surprised. I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And they brought this steak out on this beautiful plate. And it had this little like, you know, beautiful little like garnish on it. And that's what it looks like when the neoliberals give us this type of content. It's like that it's steak. Like a steak dinner. It's that appetizing. It's that appetizing. It's like, you did this for me? For us? <laughs> you said something ridiculous just for me to enjoy well, my afternoon? Well, we? the dessert was actually pretty amazing. The dessert was amazing. But it's just, you know, it's one of those moments where it's like you read these types of things and you're like, is this, this can't be real. This can't be I know. Be real. In fact, the, the, this line here in the comic, uh, instead of asking if, instead of telling a person they're resilient, ask instead, what is forcing people to be resilient and what can we do about it? All right. So first of all, uh, this psychotherapist and licensed clinical social worker should have her license revoked mm. <laughs> and, uh, because um, you need to be somewhat aware of history. Um, the resilience is not a new thing. Resilience is why our species still exists. See, one of the curious things about human beings is that we're slower than tigers and lions. We cannot jump um, higher than um, predators. If we climb trees, those same predators could climb the trees faster. If we did not learn how to be resilient. Oh, by the way, humanity was not born into a world with condominiums, with townhouses, with residential areas, or um, suburbs. Human beings lived in the wild, in the open landscapes of prairies and mountains and forests and jungles and swamps. We had to figure out which berries didn't kill us, which berries would feed us. Uh, we had to figure out how not to get bit by the poisonous snakes and scorpions. Human beings have a history of resilience. In fact, what I would say is 
the non-resilient humans didn't make it. <laughs> Their genetic code was filtered out by the evolutionary process of the survival of the fittest. So the idea that what is making you resilient? Well, that we began as um, human beings living in the most primal environments and we figured out how to survive the rain, the cold, the heat, the snow. We figured out how to hunt and kill buffalo and make tents out of their skins to avoid the elements. We figured out how to eat, how to, serve, uh, how to find fresh water and not die from the bitter water. It's amazing how resilient human beings have been. Resilience is not the result of white supremacy. <laughs> I am so sorry. There are people across the continent of Africa, many of them who didn't have to interact with white people, who developed resilience because they survived. And if you wanted your kids to survive. Right now, I think you're saying a lot. Say it, Brooke. No, wait, I just got a little concerned about uh, black people in Africa and then I missed the end because it got a little fuzzy. Well, there's there 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 are they live there. Yes, there there there. Yes, yes. Uh, Brooke, there are people in Africa who are black. And they didn't have to interact with white people. Mm -hmm. And they're resilient uh, because they overcame the elements in which they had to survive uh, to create a society, a civilization, has yes. nothing to do with white people. Resilience is the most significant human attribute for survival. Well, what, what does it do to us? If I say, if I'm resilient, it means you don't have to fix the problem that's forcing me to be resilient. Does that's resilience, right. go ahead. No, yeah, the, the, the whole idea that you don't need to be resilient is someone else should fix the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's saying that the, the fear is if I'm resilient, they don't have to change anything because I'm handling it and I'm coping. So I'll stop being resilient and then people will change. I don't think that forces anyone to change anything. No, no. It's, in fact, your thinking is, is actually backwards. And Aaron, you can interject here. And um, yes. um, I, I want to land the plane too. <laughs> oh, no, <I'm, laughs> no, I, I, no, keep, keep going. It's the exact opposite that if resilience is the result, result of having to overcome hardship, and then it's not the result of white supremacy. Because what you're actually saying then is that, well, when one would be white people are not resilient, and the ethnic minorities would be highly resilient. And so in some sense, the hardship has actually made us stronger and you cannot see being stronger as a deficit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It matters yeah. who you become. Mm -hmm. And we need to, the whole, that whole NPR framework, it, it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's embarrassing that we think resilience is a negative attribute. Mm -hmm. Yes, it comes from hard work. You see, I never knew my real father. I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. I had to learn a second language in a new society, a new culture with a new people. I grew up in racist environments where Latinos or an immigrant was not welcomed. I could spend my whole life blaming my environment on who I was not. But I'm telling you that if all that environment was the environment necessary to build the resilience that I have now, so that I can face any crisis, any challenge and rise above it and not wait for someone else to solve my problems, then I'm actually grateful for everything I went through if that's what required to make me who I am. Mm -hmm. um, we, we cannot see hardship. Uh, by the way, whose life is easy? I don't even think white people's lives are easy. It's the blue angels. It's the blue, this loop. He was like, I'm about to land the plane. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm going up. <laughs> 
Austin, you're the whitest person it's in the like, room. No, he's like. <laughs> Austin wins whitest person in the room award. I don't think your life was that easy, Austin. I think you faced hardships too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think awesome? this idea. Go ahead, Aaron. No, that was me. Go ahead, Pastor. Oh, I just think the idea <laughs> that, that addition to me after you make Austin go somewhere vulnerable. <laughs> I just think that the idea that white people don't have problems and don't go through hardship and haven't gone through pain and haven't had to suffer and haven't overcome, it's just so demeaning of people. And it, it's it's an embarrassment to me. I think the reality is everyone has to face hardships and that's real life. Can I just throw in one thing really quick about the, the comic? This is what yeah. this is what drove me the most crazy is it says she gives some tips for how to help. She says these things will help you feel more confidence and control over your life, though not everything in your life, because we do live under capitalism and white supremacy. And that's like the, <laughs> like the end cap. And I'm like, if at every juncture of your life, you're like, well, at the end of the day, there's still capitalism and white supremacy. Then you, it's like a a write-off for everything, everything. And Aaron, I I do. This is my Christmas gift to you. Is this NPR cartoon? Um, just consider this like tied with a bow for you. <laughs> Here's my thing: is that I just think we. What I what I don't understand is why we just take things off the table. Like, why is it just, why does it have to be bad for someone to be resilient? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you become so socially sensitive. And I do, I do 100% agree with maybe the, like the, the inception of the idea. They want people who are not aware to be more aware. Mm-hmm. They want people who are insensitive to become more sensitive. But, mm-hmm. you know, turning a steak into soup does not make something better. It, it makes something weird, right? You know, you're just eating water, water meat, meat water. Like, <laughs> that's just weird. It's called chili. Chili's weird. What'd you have for dinner? Water meat? I had meat. Water. I had meat soup. Is that an impossible um, burger? I had, it's an impossible mm-hmm. burger. No, it's like you're, you're just you uh we have to it feels like we're creating these you know these like these very altruistic sensitive or like like hypersensitive um trigger words and that's what it feels like right it's like everything's a trigger warning everything is 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 a gaslighting situation everything is you know stop being the oppressor stop being the oppressor and then we have the woman king and i just you know the woman king the movie yeah I was in the theater and I was like, man, these movies look like trash. And then the woman King came on and I was like, this is phenomenal. This Did looks you see amazing. The, well, you saw the trailer. I saw the trailer. I saw the trailer. I didn't see the movie. I heard the movie was, I heard the movie was good. And then I started seeing all this backlash against the woman King because apparently the, the Dohemi tribe, the tribe that, uh, uh, who was like the, the wonderful actress who I, I just escaped my mind. Who Viola wonderful? Davis. Yes. Who plays the, like the head. Yeah. Like the, mm-hmm. and the, king, the woman king she is this is the movies about her i guess they were one of the biggest or one of the bigger proponents to uh the transatlantic slave in, in industry like they, they were capturing tribes and selling them to um the french and the dutch i guess i think that i heard that when they were pressed the writers or producer said well the story ends before that the story ends before. Okay, so as long as we tell, uh, as long as we tell Adolf Hitler's story before we get to a certain point, we're okay. But we're not, and we know we're not. And the reality is, the reason why we don't do it, and the reason why no one touches it, is because we know that that opens up a gateway for like a darkness. Like there are some things our society knows not to do, and and this is like the the catch twenty two of this, right? Like Adolf may have been a bit too extreme of a metaphor. But it is, it is a huge reason why I do think like we were just watching The Crown and, you know, there's a lot of Nazi entanglement with whether it's the royal family and, 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 and the extended relatives. And there was so much going on, I think, in Europe, pre everyone knowing what was really going on with the Nazi party. And they didn't include Adolf at all. They just referred to him because I think in certain situations, you know, uh, you don't need to go there. All right. 
So it's like, but we're trying to turn a new leaf in film, right? We're trying to include black stories. We're trying to include stories of diversity and stories with different minorities. And we've already told the ugly truth of so many slave traders in America. I don't know why it's so controversial to tell this story of this person. But one thing that you find is weird. I think it's a white director, a white female director. And she left out the horrific truth of it all. That's because history is always messy. History is always dirty. It's never clean. It's never perfect. But that's... is it wrong of us to replace history? Because I think it's one thing to tear down statues of guys who don't need statues. It's another thing to like rewrite history and not mention the fact that those statues were built. She's, uh, just to clarify the director, uh, she's half white and half black. Okay. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> and no, I think I, it, it I, makes, I actually think it makes it more interesting because why would you leave that out? I think that probably because she was so fascinated by this woman's rise to power in a dominantly male world and to become the woman king that she didn't want to taint her story by what she actually ended up doing. By the truth. By the truth. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's hard to escape. It's hard to deal with if it was a role reversal, if it was a, um, you know, a, a white figure, it probably would never see the light of day on the screen. Well, no, I think I that's called 12 Years a Slave, right? I think ironically, if it's told from the position and the posture that white people are evil, then it's socially accepted. Yes. Right? And it, for me, it, it, I think it degrades the art and the, by, if you to remove the truth from the story, it degrades the art. I don't, I don't dis, I, I don't agree with the controversy. Make the story, make the film, make the woman king, but don't remove the fact that it was a huge part of the culture. It would have been hard to have a good ending. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you know, that they probably saw it. This is a section of, I'm just trying, I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just trying to understand maybe the mindset is we had, a, we have a moment in history. If we capture this moment, we have an epic story. If we keep going, you know, it ruins the story that we have. And uh, it's an interesting thing. It'll be it'll be interesting to me to see if it creates a lot of cultural conversations through this movie, right? You know, we'll, we'll yeah. see. I mean, it's true. I don't know. Any of that make sense? Absolutely. No, it's just so, it's just uncomfortable, right? It, you know, I don't I'm know if we're... Well, it's the, no, it, it's exactly the case, right? It's the uncomfortable truth. Yeah, it's almost like I don't know if we're allowed to say this. <laughs> we're not we're definitely not but i mean we talk about it every once in a while we're like we're like we're in california and california does not feel like north carolina no no and you forget you're like oh because we're not in california yet. we're in mexico we no. we are in the united states we we're in the united states of mexico in california they took it in that war and it probably should it be given back. We're giving back land to a lot of people. Should it be given back to Mexico? I'm not saying that in a racist way. I'm saying you forget that we're like, oh, we're living in territory that was actually taken over by our nation from another nation, even though it was a few hundred years ago. Does it change the fact? If we're rewriting history, should we rewrite it completely? So you, you just sort of skipped there because even though LA is not, not North Carolina, it's not because it's Mexico. It's because it's incredibly progressed. <laughs> okay. 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 No, 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 no. What? No, no. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the fact that like, yes, I understand North Carolina and it was taken from native Americans, first people hundreds of years ago when we first came. So we, we easily, I think forget that. And we, and then we bring it up and we feel guilty. And then, and I don't feel guilty. I didn't do it. My people were down South making coffee beans as far before everyone was, you know, drinking coffee, you know, and my other half of the people were in Ireland, but the people who ended up coming over here, like the East coast makes a lot more sense, right? It was new England. And then when you get to like California, this is, this is a hundred years later, 200 years later, this is, this is my, we've, we've already modernized. And then you're in these streets, you're in La Cienega, you're in La Brea, you know, you're in San Gabriel Valley. 
you're in Los Angeles, <laughs> San Diego, San Francisco, Santa Clarita, <laughs> San Jose, <laughs> Santa Clarita, like, San Diego. Yeah, you're in Malibu. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like we have, uh, it doesn't feel like it's a consistent in its logic and the way that we treat the world. Yeah, in 1824, <laughs> um, the Mexican ownership of the U.S. went all the way up to what they called Oregon country. Wow. Like leaves room for Washington and that's it. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. But I would prefer for it not to go back. I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. But it is interesting. We paid Russia for their land and we paid the French for the land that they had in losing the purchase. What land did Russia have? Alaska. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. You can yeah, check on that, bro. No, we did. We bought Alaska from Russia. And we bought the Louisiana territory from the French, but we just took the land from the Mexicans <laughs> from Mexico, right? You know. So it's right. interesting. I don't know how we decide which countries we we buy land from, which countries we just take it from. Here's the reality: history is conquest after conquest after conquest, and it it, it wasn't just the uh, Europeans coming in that began the world of conquest. I mean, the, the most brutal conqueror in probably world history was Genghis Khan in China. He was probably the most ruthless, brutal um, conqueror in the world. And the world has a history of conquest. The world has a history of empires and kingdoms and, and, um, and nations um, and empires. And, and so we, we can't bring our our present sensibility to explain the past. It just doesn't work, it, it, you know, and because you just keep going back and back and back and back. The reality is that we have to figure out who are we today and how do we express the best aspects of humanity going forward. And, uh, but you're right, North Carolina feels like another country and New York where we're at right now feels like another country and LA feels like another country. And so, there is sort of an irony that even now, all these years later, um, even though it's one United States of America, when you travel, you realize, wow, the cultural value systems are so different. The perspectives are different. The way they treat people. I mean, North Carolina, people are so friendly. I kept wondering, you know, what, what, what were they trying to do because they're so kind? <laughs> I felt so much shame in North Carolina. <laughs> so much guilt, Brooke. People are so nice. It's like they could see the dark city boy inside of me. No, they were they're probably trying to just claim like, you. When I held that door open, they could tell I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I said yes, ma'am, they were like, mm, that's like the second time he's ever said in his life. People in North Carolina just want to give you banana pudding and barbecue and a nice place to sit down. Oh my gosh, we had a banana pudding. <laughs> oh from where? From Redmond's? No, from no, from that that brick fifty one. Oh, Ben fifty four. Oh yeah. my, incredible! Goodness. We were yeah. laughing how good it was. Then we ate pools in Raleigh. I had dinner there. That was incredible. Have you ever been there, Brooke? It's like this old diner. Bulls. Pools. P o o l e. No. Mm-mm. Have you? Did you go to Sutton on Franklin? No. Oh, go no. ahead. Oh man. The Suttons. But you, how'd you end up in Raleigh? We flew. Uh, you know, we flew in, and I took Aaron to where I went to high school. I drove him by the house we lived in, so we did a little bit of, um, you know, strolling on memory lane for me, and it was pretty cool. Uh, went by Millbrook High School where I went to high school, and and then we headed over to Chapel Hill, and then um, went by the uh, Church Mount Moriah was the first place I ever was asked to speak. After I became a Christian in this little church in the country. That's so cool. Did you get a picture? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, did. We'll, did. We'll, we'll throw it. We've got to throw it in this podcast. You know what we're going to do? Well, let's, let's upload it to the Patreon community. Well, that'd be we'll great. These photos. Um, this is actually a great place to plug it. But I want to hit one thing before we go into anything else. Dad, so one thing that I found really interesting was when, when going, just going back into the Mac Brown situation with, with when he started speaking to the team. He obviously let you come in and talk for 15 minutes and which was really cool because he came up to us to talk to us before and after. And he was like, you know, I don't really like to go much longer than 15, 20 minutes because mm-hmm. pre-game 
you know, they've done so much studying. They don't have much attention span left. They've been in school all week. They've been all these meetings. They're studying the plays. They're studying the routines. They're looking at film. And he's like, in the next 24 hours, you're going to be looking at a lot of it again. And then they're going to go into this game. So he's like, I just, you know, need him to get fired up, need him to stay focused and, and, and be resilient and, and go into this situation. But he showed, you talked for 15 minutes and you, you ended up, oh, Brooke, this was insane. He was like, hey, time this, make sure I like come in close because I don't want to be disrespectful. He comes in at 14 minutes and 51 seconds. I've seen you do something like that before and it is mind boggling to me. And he also, he was nervous. I was. I've never seen him nervous in my life. <gasps> it was yeah. so cool. He had like after, he had a little, he had a little shake. After hand. I was after I finished speaking, Brooke, I I was trying to text someone's number. I couldn't. My hands were shaking. Oh, it's awesome. You know, the I just think year olds. You, you know, when when your whole life has no meaning. And you're trying to make sense of your existence and you don't know if you're going to go to college. And, uh, and then you find yourself at Chapel Hill, you know, and, um, and it was like a personal like goal of mine and mm -hmm. to be able to go to Chapel Hill. And um, it was it just meant a lot to get to make a contribution back, you know? Yeah. It was cool. very special. It was That's so awesome. special. And okay. But this moment, so after you speak, Mac Brown shows this clip and it was of a, I think it was of a lineman or a, a defensive end in the pros talking to the players in the huddle. And essentially talking about accountability, accountability, accountability starts with not just the coaches being, keeping us accountable, but each and every one of us keeping each other accountable. And so I think it's, that I think was so important. And it was like maybe 30 seconds. It was this guy fired up yelling and screaming and talking about accountability and how if it doesn't happen from us, it'll never happen. And and I think like when we talk about everything we do, we build teams when we, you know, in whatever aspect of life that, that we're in, you know, obviously, Brooke, you're in a band that tours and your husband's on tour right now. And usually you're on tour as well. Like it's more complicated with Milo and everything else that you do. But like, and dad, and you've been a part of so many teams. Do you feel like that's a deciding factor in success and in greatness? accountability yeah I, it's interesting you can have a great leader but no matter how great the leader is there is a leadership ceiling if it's only that leader calling people up there's a, a, a complete transformation like an exponential um capacity that exists only when the team starts holding each other accountable and so if I'm holding, you know, let's say our mosaic team accountable. So I'm holding, you know, you, Aaron, Austin, Brooke, Joe, David, everyone, at least accountable. Maybe my attention and maybe my inspiration and maybe my focus can help us elevate. But when Brooke starts holding Austin accountable and Austin starts holding Aaron accountable and Aaron starts holding, you know, Joe accountable and Joe starts holding David accountable when everyone starts holding each other accountable, that's when the team actually begins to move into a dimension of execution and excellence that is impossible when it's only being led by, by a singular leader. So interesting. Yeah, that's where culture is far more important than talent. What would you say the, the relationship is between outside accountability and self-leadership or like self-discipline? Well, the thing is that if a person doesn't have self-leadership, they will hold no one else accountable. Mm -hmm. because you're you won't hold people genuinely accountable because you'll be afraid someone's going to hold you accountable that makes sense yeah so when you don't have self-leadership you only use positional leadership and so you tell people what to do when you're over them because you know they don't have the authority to hold you accountable so people who don't exercise self-leadership are usually authoritarian and uh, in their approach and but people who do hold themselves accountable feel very comfortable with peer accountability. And so, you know, they'll come to you, Brooke, because they're okay with you coming to them. Right? Because, you know, even when you're married, right? You know, you go to your husband and you say, hey, you didn't do this again. And he, like the immediate response is, well, you didn't do this. 
right? Yeah. Well, speaking of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The human response is, you can't hold me accountable for this because you didn't do this well. And that's why it really begins with self-leadership. You cannot have a culture where everyone holds each other accountable if you don't have a culture where everyone holds themselves accountable. Uh, I just want to do a couple of quick um, uh, corrections. I talked about the country that was not requiring uh, COVID vaccinations for anyone under 50, not Sweden, it's Denmark. Uh, okay. And then I talked about um, the use of executive orders and I wasn't sure about what the specific application was. The executive order was around the, um, the college loan forgiveness. And, but the, um, the quote inflation reduction act was passed by uh, the Senate. And um, I think by a um, complete split between Democrats and Republicans. So those are just the two things I wanted to clarify. And then we're still not too sure about the relationship with the earthquakes on that particular day, but there seems to be some kind of phenomenon with that day and earthquakes in Mexico City. Which... Yeah, I think it wasn't three years in a row, but it was two years on the same day with, I think, a gap year in between. Which is crazy. But I think the, the year in between, there were like tremors. Yeah. Mm. But my source was a Mexican source, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. And also, the, a Mexican source meaning someone in Mexico City. Yes. Um, the... the uh, these corrections are for the last episode rolling blackouts, which apparently some people had issues. Okay, guys, uh, let's close out this episode and just thank everybody for listening to the Bad Ready podcast. Uh, like we said, we are broadcasting from Brooklyn, New York, and we're so grateful that you joined us for this episode. We want to just remind you and thank everybody who has been a part of the Patreon so far. Um, I know we, we, we kind of slowly rolled it out, a soft release last week. Uh, within the episode of Rolling Blackout, but basically we started a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash batteriedypodcast. Um, we have already, we already have 22 people so far, which is like really, really exciting. Um, I'm excited to get that number up and build the community there. And this is where essentially people have been asking us for the last few years since we started this, where can we donate? Where can we sponsor? Where can we subscribe? Where can we give? Where can we buy? Where, where can we be a part of the podcast? And where can we go deeper? And so we created, um, we got some advice and and taken a little bit of, um, I guess, strategy from The Minimalist, some of our friends over there, and a couple other guys that do this really well on building essentially a back-end community for people who want to go deeper inside the podcast. We're going to release unreleased episodes. So episodes that will only be there. We talk about some wild stuff. Not quite Joe Rogan, I don't think, but um, but this is kind of like where we'll go deeper. It's also where we'll be able to have more communication, more connection. Um, we're going to do some live Q&As and it's kind of broken up by bracket um, of payment plan. Like you want to do $5, $10, $20, $40. Um, we, we give them cute little names like, you know, I like you, I love you. Uh, what is it? Uh, Bury me in battle ready and die hearts. Um, are the, the four different categories. And so you can kind of give and, and, and um, subscribe at how, whatever level you feel comfortable. If you don't want to, that's totally great. We're so grateful you listen to this podcast and that you share it with your friends. Um, and we will see you guys in the Patreon and next week. 